Welcome to the For The Makers podcast. I'm so pumped that you are here today. Thanks for (laughs) tuning in, for listening. Um, You guys, just as a reminder, uh, we do send out our podcasts every second and fourth Friday of the month because you clap on the two and the four. Not on the one and the three. Exactly. Although this episode is a little different. This is a little different. Rachel, would you like to tell the people why it's a little different? We're doing a bonus episode right smack dab in the middle of season two, which I hope you all are enjoying so far. Um, So this is a secret that is not a secret anymore because I'm going to share it. But um, LB and I usually uh, record seasons all at once, and then um, we get to share them with you over time. Um, But this season, we have so many people that we're so excited to talk to, we couldn't help ourselves. And so um, we're going to sprinkle in a couple bonus episodes, um, and you guys are going to have a little treat. So Maybe it won't be on the two and the four. Maybe it'll be on the one and the three. Or maybe it'll just be like a random clap that you just didn't see coming. Wow, you guys. Really (laughs) just like get ready for that because we have some really awesome conversations happening. And you know what? (laughs) For those who don't know, hello, my name is Leah Beth Etheridge and I'm one of the um, hosts of uh, the For the Makers podcast. And I'm here with the one and only Rachel Gifford. What's up? What's up? You guys... We're just going to jump right in. We have such an incredible, incredible guest for you today. I'm so pumped to have her. Um, Rach, would you like to introduce our guest? Yes. Today on the podcast, we have the wonderful Jillian Page. Welcome, Jillian. Thank you. Yes. I'm so excited that you're here. Um, Jillian teaches this amazing class in New York City and online. Um, So really, you can take it anywhere. Um, It's called Meisner and Music. And uh, Meisner is basically an acting technique. I'm going to let Jillian talk about this more, but I take this class and I absolutely love it. And I've grown um, and learned so much um, from Jillian and just from the class and from the people too. There's a lot of amazing people. Um, so that's how I know Jillian. And I'm going to go ahead and just read her bio and then we'll get right into the conversation. Okay, so Jillian Page is the founder of Meisner and Music, the premier class to infuse the Meisner technique with singing. See, I didn't even need to, you just explain it right in your bio. (laughs) (laughs) Jillian received her master's in music theater from Oklahoma City University, her bachelor's in classical vocal performance from Belmont University, and studied Meisner under Terry Martin, a direct pupil of Meisner's, and Ted Wold. We love Ted. Jillian is based out of New York City and has performed with companies such as Actors Theater of Louisville, the Nashville Opera, and Kentucky Opera. She is passionate about helping singers maintain beautiful singing while achieving emotional freedom and impulsivity in the moment. Welcome, Jillian. Thank you so much. (laughs) Yes. Wow. The last line of that bio is stunning. Oh, I love it. Yeah. That's what I thought too. So beautifully. Yeah. I love. I mean, we read everybody's bios on the podcast and it's really fun to see different personalities like through each of them, but then also how different people incorporate like what they're passionate about. And if it's like the final statement or if it's just kind of infused in like the list of things. But anyway, I feel like yours is just chef's kiss. Oh, thank you. I'm like teaching at I guess I won't say the name of it in case someone sees what I'm talking about, but I'm teaching somewhere this summer that sent out a handbook of mm-hmm. the all the people that will be guest artists and teachers. Yeah. And I'm going through, I wanted to see who the other teachers were and their bios were like filling. It was all the, the teacher's picture and then a square. Okay. And so their bios were filling up the square, filling up the square and sometimes like overflowing the square. And then it got to mine and it was this bio and it was so small. And I was like, you all at least make the font bigger. <laughs> but I feel like, come on, help a girl out. I know. Oh I think gosh. teacher bios, maybe that's a lesson for me. I think they need to be a little longer maybe, or 
I don't know. Yeah. It was just like so funny to read everyone's lengthy bios right. and then see my little like piddly one <laughs> that they didn't even try to space out or like make the square smaller to right. fit. Right. It was just like so much white space <laughs> and then my teeny tiny paragraph. Oh, but oh you get the gist yeah. in that little No, I summary. love it. Yeah, exactly. My sister went and saw the tour of um, Hairspray recently and there's this girl, <laughs> I think it's the girl that plays Penny her bio, I don't know who you are, but this was hilarious to me. But um, her bio was like, I auditioned for this uh, <laughs> at like three o'clock. I got here for the audition at three o'clock in the morning. And then there was a pandemic. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> and now I'm here, exclamation mark. It's something short like that. And it just made me laugh so hard because I think that that day goes down in like history of <laughs> audition days oh my god the line just the wraps around like three blocks or something call. like that yeah, yeah it was very funny <sighs> yeah I'd yeah. rather have a short bio than like the longest bio. Yes. Like that's yeah. embarrassing. Exactly. <laughs> also, who's done that much? I guess some people have, but like right. I certainly haven't. Right. And the, the selected credits include. Yeah, that exactly. One. exactly. Yeah. Selected credits. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Sometimes I'm like, well, these are my credits. Yeah. But <laughs> only credits. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. We've all done that. How you have to like spruce up the bio or the resume or something. 100%. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I think we're just going to launch into the questions because I feel like we have a lot to talk about with you and we'll just kind of see where these take us. Yeah. So Jillian, what got you into the arts? Um, my parents are both musicians. So my dad is the, uh, actually he just retired two years ago, but he was the flute player and piccolo I mean, sorry, principal piccolo player of the Louisville Orchestra. That's not wow. hard to say at all. I know. I was like, <laughs> have I ever said that before? Um, yes. The He was like, I don't know if he was second or third chair flute flautist, but then yeah. um, principal piccolo player of the Louisville Orchestra. Wow. So that was great to grow up around the orchestra. And then my mom and him met at Baldwin Wallace Conservatory. She was his accompanist. And she plays um, the organ and piano. And she's more of a musician that finds her passion part-time. So she's okay, a church cool. organist and pianist, wow. but we grew up with so much music. So it kind of was a no brainer. And I took from, I started it in violin with someone from the orchestra and wow. then I hated it, <laughs> <laughs> tried piano, tried cello. And then finally voice felt like a fit. So yeah. went into that. Wow. wow. When did you know that that was something that you wanted to pursue as a career? Do Oregon and Florida have the governor's school for the arts summer program? No, no. Okay. Kentucky has it. And I know okay. like, I think Virginia does. And I didn't know if it was like nationwide or maybe just that, yeah. or maybe I don't know about it, but yeah, I don't think it was so. like so great. Kentucky funds this thing where if you audition and get in, you go to a free, if I'm not mistaken, three week program funded by wow. the state and you go we wow. went to this literally a university called transylvania university no. and when i wear wow. the sweatshirt people are like oh and i'm like no it's it's real, real. <laughs> it's in lexington um wow. but yeah i studied voice there and that was really the first time that i realized it could be a career and they taught us about like you know, you could be a singer for the army choir sure. or you could go into wow. opera and different options yeah. career wise. So not only seeing my parents do that full time, but going to governor school for the arts really made me be like, I guess I'm majoring in this. Wow. That is yeah. so cool. And were you always like classical? Is that kind of what you knew you loved or was it music theater? Like how did you bridge the, there's kind of a gap there. I feel like mm -hmm. I, Loved musical theater and did the musicals in school because that sure. was like what we had. We didn't yeah. have high school operas, mm -hmm. but, um, governor school for the arts, I was there for classical voice and you know, that's what my voice teacher was teaching me. She was right. an opera singer, but then it was around senior year of college. Um, I just started to get these signs from God, the universe, life, whatever you want to call it, where mm. so many signs were pointing me toward musical theater and it just fit like a glove. I'm not wow. a great dancer, but other than mm. that, I always felt strongest at acting secondary at singing. And while I do love and appreciate my voice, I was just like, Oh wait, I don't think I'm supposed to be an opera singer where the voice wow. and the technique or the pinnacle, I think my ability to act and kind of move well, <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> if forced is, is more in the niche of musical theater. So then 
transitioned and took that year after undergrad to study musical theater, do musicals in Nashville. And then I went to get my master's in musical theater because another uh, trait of classical singers is we feel like we have to constantly be in training. (laughs) I'm glad I got my master's, but I also, when someone comes to me and is like, should I get my master's? I'm like, let's talk about it because you don't necessarily need it. Yeah. 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 Do you think do you feel that way now being a teacher? And yeah, I do. I am happy. Well, I, I'm an idiot. I got an MM because okay. my bachelor's was in music. So oh, I was yeah. like, let's keep this party going. And I got an MM, but that's not the got terminal it. degree in music. Mm. So I could technically teach at a university because I have my master's, but in order to be a a professor, like a full-time professor of tenure, you have to have the terminal degree in your field, which mine would be a doctorate of music. But because I'm in musical theater, there's a little bit of debate because the terminal degree in musical theater is an MFA. So anyway, right, right. All that to say, if you want to teach at the university level, I think getting your master's is a really good option. Yeah. But... I do wonder a lot if I had spent those two years just coming to New York sure. and spending mm-hmm. 50 grand on uh, classes. Sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah. But who's to say, I also love school and thrive yeah. in that environment. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I think that's so fair and such an interesting conversation that I feel like a lot of New Yorkers are now talking about, or people, I guess that live here and work professionally are talking about when they hear about like, BFA programs, or it does become, it's just an interesting conversation. Cause you're like, okay, how much of this is actually necessary versus like you said, just coming here and getting experience or just spending a lot less money on classes. And I don't know, I feel like I hear a lot of people saying, don't go to mm-hmm. <laughs> a university and get a degree. Cause it's not totally necessary, but yeah. Well, I think too, like people, Everybody, um, it depends too on like where in the field you lie, I think as well. Like for actors, I think there are some people who like thrive, like you were saying in the academic world and do learn a lot in, in that sort of an environment, but then hands-on experience for another person might be like 10 times more valuable. Um, or if you're, we have a friend who's in, um, getting his master's of producing it at Columbia right now. So it's like, there's also the whole avenue of like, okay, but if you're being a actor slash something else, what does that look like? You know, which is something that a lot of us are now. I mean, we're actors plus teachers, we're actors plus producers, we're actors plus whatever. And so it's like, how do you navigate this industry well, while not being just one thing. Totally. I think. And there's so much to say for both the actor plus something else. And also, even if you just are going to be an actor, the yeah. dream, there's so much to say about the safe environment and right. getting to try it out in right. a capsule rather yeah. than just pushing yourself out to sea. Yeah. And I don't know about you all, but the connections that I made, especially at my master's, um, are invaluable. Mm -hmm. And the Oklahoma city university, um, community has been so supportive of me. And I don't think Meisner music would be where it is if not for my masters. So, you know, yeah, no, I, I definitely like, I would not have been somebody who did well moving here right out of the gate and like trying classes. I needed that environment. Like you said, of like kind of being in a bubble of these are the people that you're going to be with for four years. And I mean, I've just kind of learned how to be human in school. So right, right. <laughs> I needed that, you know, and then, um, yeah. And then, like you said, the support system that you get there can, you know, follow you, um, post-grad and yeah, mm-hmm. that's really cool. Yeah. Um, should we move on to the next question? Let's do it. Sure. Okay, cool. I keep forgetting <laughs> that I have a microphone in front of my face. I keep being like, Talking over here. We need Brittany mics. I know. <laughs> right? We do. It's because we're used to them being in between yeah. our eyeballs, not yeah. in between in front our of our faces. Um, okay, so Jillian, next question. Why do you think the arts are important? Because the human experience is so vast and unexplainable. And while words and writing can do so much, I think especially 
visual art, dance, music can take us to a transcendent level where we can make more sense of this ever confusing subject of Mm. existentialism and Mm. the purpose, if there is any of all of this. So yeah, yeah, I think especially singing connects us to a deeper part of ourselves that words and speaking don't really uh, do as much justice with. And that's why so often people can get emotional or feel out of control when they sing, because it is kind of, it is a very emotional, sometimes out of control experience. But I really feel like it's connecting us to, if not a higher power than a higher part of ourselves. Right. Yeah. Wow. Can you speak a little bit more to that? I feel like something that I love about Meisner and music is it acknowledges the emotional connection between like person and voice. And there's so much psychology out there now that you incorporate so much into the work that you do. What has that been like kind of learning? I mean, has it been a process of learning or was that what interested you in the Meisner technique and applying it to the voice or to singing, I should say? Totally. I think especially in a classical background, but a lot of our voice backgrounds for those who have, who have taken voice lessons or been in choirs, it can feel sometimes like I must separate me, the person as me, the vocalist. And Mm -hmm. we're finding consistently that like that is not doable and that Mm -hmm. your inner experience will 100% come out in the way your voice is producing sound. So when I discovered Meisner for myself, I was 26 and I was like, oh my gosh, this is the answer to everything because it really tapped me into the present moment. And Mm. not only did that, but gave me tools to recreate Mm. present moment awareness constantly. Yeah. But then when I go to sing, it was a totally different story. And I went back into this, well, no, now I'm a singer and the quality of sound matters more than what is happening inside of me. But then we, you know, are finding and research is slowly coming out about not only current experiences, but past experiences and how those impact the voice. So it's just been really incredible to go from what I thought was creating an acting class (laughs) to creating something that I think applies to all of life, which is that my experience is important, whether or not I voice that that's going to come out. So Mm -hmm. how can I find healthy ways to express that, that don't have me pushing it down? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Almost every acting professor or musical theater professor that I've had says, you know, if you don't, if words aren't enough, you sing. Mm. And if singing isn't enough, you move. And if moving isn't enough, then you do all three together. (laughs) Oh, I love that. And I, yeah, I love that too, because it gives this like, like you were saying, it, it, it's not, okay, now I'm a singer. Now I'm an actor. Now I'm a human. It's like, well, one leads to the other. So it's like, if you're a full human, then your words will reflect that. And therefore your voice will reflect that. And they have to be connected. If they're separated, then it becomes disjointed logically and like the audience will be able to feel that and you will you won't feel comfortable like you'll start to be start to there's that voice that comes over the top of your head that's like oh your your notes weren't right or your you know the way that you said this was weird or whatever instead of just being in the moment with another human being Mm -hmm. who is also doing the exact same thing you are um, within this imaginary context right and so it's like how do you how do you stay a complete human within this imaginary context? I think is like the question that I would pose to you is like how being an actor and being a vocalist, being an incredible vocalist, how do you marry those things together mm-hmm. while be playing not yourself? If that makes right. any sense. Totally. Because like in a class setting or in like a individual performance setting, like for instance, um, the song, um, uh, not a day goes by mm-hmm. by Stephen Sondheim. I can sing that song and immediately I'm like mm. sobbing. It just one. It's just that one that like I can hear the first chord of it and I'm just like <laughs> like crying. Um, and I know that's because it connects to something deeper mm-hmm. in me as a human being. But if I were to play Beth in a show, how do you bring in an imaginary person into that? If that makes any sense, the imaginary person being Beth, being Beth, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Meisner, have you taken any Meisner LB? I have not, but I have watched. I came. Oh, so yes. I came to a class oh, and yeah. observed. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I've learned a lot just from yeah. listening to her um, talk about class and talk about TED and um, mm-hmm. everything, but I haven't experienced it yet, but hopefully soon. Well, Rachel, yeah. as your, your teacher, what do <laughs> yeah. you know about you versus the character? What does Meisner say? Well, you are the character. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So the idea. Oh, right. <laughs> a plus. Way to go. <laughs> Nothing like a quiz. Yeah. Right, exactly. It's so funny when someone quizzes me, like when you said, what movie have you seen recently? I'm like, what's a movie? Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> My brain just is like, no. Shut down. Off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. So Meisner, at least, and you know, I always, or Ted always said this, I don't. He, you know, it's not a cult. Like it's, it's not that we have to take everything that Meisner did and be Mm -hmm. like, if I don't believe all of these tools, I'm not a Meisner. Sure. Sure. So take this with a grain of salt, but at least in the Meisner technique, the idea is that you're the character. So Mm -hmm. if, what would you say is like the opening emotion of not a day goes by for Beth? Oh gosh. Uh, I don't know. I think, uh, first one I would say is frustration for sure within context of the show. Yeah. Yeah. So then we would go to not what is making Beth frustrated, but what is, what would make me frustrated that's based on something true in my Mm. life, but that is essentially imaginary. So something that's true in my life (laughs) is that I told you all earlier, I'm working on going through this long course that I wrote and re recording and editing all of these videos. So it's really time consuming and kind of frustrating right now. So that's true. Then I would imagine on what would make me even more frustrated about that. And like envisioning that all of those files got overwritten and I had to start from scratch would just, I know that it has nothing to do with Beth's journey, Sure, but we want to look at what would get me there in a similar emotional Meisner calls it house or even the neighborhood, a similar emotional neighborhood of Beth. Yeah. So that, especially if it's a song that makes me just bubble over with emotion every time I hear the opening chords, I'm able to still get through it with something that's imaginary and not so real that I'm not able to sing it. Right. Oh, Um, that's so good. It's so interesting. Like now that I'm just deep into the Meisner world, I truly, I, I can't think about acting in, in another context. Like, it's just hard for me to, to imagine having to do it in a different way. And I think about like, there's like pre Meisner, Rachel would have been a little lost and there's so many, I don't know, it seems so simple, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is, it is, but it's like, it's such a game changer. And it's interesting because when I talk about it to non-theater people, muggles, <laughs> as muggles, we, if you as will. Call them, yeah. um, they find it so interesting because I, I think everybody kind of wants to know like how, how to crack the code. Like yeah. how do people do these great performances? And some people obviously don't use the Weisner technique, but I just think it's so interesting when people learn about like, oh, there's tools in this toolkit that mm-hmm. you can use and it's not just this random thing to get an end product. Totally. But, yeah. Do you feel that way? Absolutely. Sidney Pollock wrote the intro to Meisner's book. Do mm-hmm. you all know him? I definitely know the name. Yeah. For sure. He's a really amazing director, but he also is... Did you all ever see Annie Hall? Or mm. maybe uh, Tootsie? Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. He is, I don't know, this is so niche. He's the agent <laughs> in Tootsie. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dustin Hoffman's agent. <laughs> Love that. So, um, but he's a Meisner <laughs> actor and a big fan. Yeah. And cool. he wrote the intro and he says, you know, some acting teachers want it to be about the technique. The process mm-hmm. actually is about the technique, mm-hmm. but Meisner never wanted the technique to be an end result in itself. He huh. wanted the technique to get you to the end result, mm. not for the technique to get you more engulfed in technique. Wow. Yeah. So that's funny. Cause that truly can happen. Can't it? Yeah. yeah. And while it's a muscle that I love flexing and think we should like work out often, like always being in that Meisner brain, if we love it that much, Mm -hmm. I also think we want to make sure that it's something that is within me and that I can just push myself out to see. So it's Mm -hmm. Meisner made it that way for a reason, just simple. And when you hear the principles of Meisner, like 
just listen and respond when in doubt, what do you see in the other person? Those are like kind of simple ideas, but so difficult to employ sometimes. Um, but I think he, as a concert pianist and an actor, I think he wanted to be step-by-step systematic and simple like that. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, it's so funny that you say things like, you know, sit and listen, or what do you see in the other person? Because those are things that directly apply to our real life. And those are things that we don't think about very often. Like I surely don't like, I surely don't think, oh, even if I'm in a conversation with somebody, I think people have gotten into the habit of saying, okay, what am I going to say next? Like, how do I respond to this instead of just listening to what the other person has to say mm-hmm. and waiting for them to respond? Um, being comfortable with silence, being, you know, these are things that quote unquote muggles or non <laughs> our gentle listeners who aren't theater people um, will probably be, be able to latch on to. Or even when you were talking about being in the same um, emotional neighborhood, mm-hmm. it's like that connects to, can create empathy, which connects to somebody in a deeper way, yeah. which relates back to your idea of art becoming existential or like above ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's because all of a sudden we're playing in some sort, we can relate to anybody and everybody at any given time because we have some degree of empathy with them. Absolutely. Um, which is what art creates. I think at it's like core is it creates empathy with another human being. Do you all have show notes? Uh, like, is yeah. it on Apple podcasts and you have a little show note? Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll send this to you so we can put it in the show notes, but there was a study done that I cannot remember the name of or the year of, or where it was published. <laughs> so I'll send it to you so we Great. can all look it up. Love but that. there was a study done at an arts school, I believe a high school where they looked mm-hmm. at all the different, um, artistic majors of the students and tested them on different characteristics. Wow. And of course they found that the actors had the most ability to be empathetic. Wow. And so I really feel like Meisner and acting in general really helps us to be work that empathy muscle, which also, I don't know if it was this study or another one, they found that empathy actually can be worked like a muscle and should. So all of these people and me included when I get on my high horse, when we're you know, feeling like they're wrong and I'm right. We can actually practice empathy and finding different sides to Mm. things and understanding and connection to other people. But actors especially have to do that. So we're a little bit more, um, attuned to it on the regular. Wow. Do you know who, um, (laughs) we're like spitballing here. Do you know who Anna Devere Smith is? No. Okay. She, have you watched the West wing? No. Okay. There's, um, She's the national security advisor, I think is her role in that show. But she is this playwright. um, She's probably most known for the West Wing, but she's a playwright who does, um, oh, what does she call it? It, She does one woman shows and um, she interviews like hundreds of people about a real um, historical event. And then she takes all of those interviews and turns them into monologues. Um, Well, of course she you know, sifts through and chooses, it's not a hundred monologues. Um, so she chooses, uh, which monologue she's going to do. And then she plays all of these characters and it is, I mean, it's amazing, but she is a professor. I want to say at some, she, I know she does some stuff at NYU and I think at Harvard or an, an Ivy league school, but she will write, I'm kind of like, what does this woman not do? Truly. But she, um, I've read her book. It's called letters to a young artist. And she, uh, talks about a lecture that she gave to a bunch of medical students. And, um, she had a group of actors that like snuck into the lecture and, um, we're sitting there and during her lecture, uh, she got a couple questions and it very clearly from the actors that were sitting <laughs> there were like much more like emotional questions, yeah. very in tune with how, you know, they were feeling. And then she asked a medical stu- a student to describe what it was like to tell, um, uh, family member or not one of their family members, but, uh, to tell a patient's family that they, um, that they lost the patient and these medical students were able to, you know, very clinically describe how they handle that situation. And she talks about, um, how wouldn't it be nice if, uh, 
you know, our medical professionals were able to be more empathetic and our artists were able to speak more clinically about what they do. And I just think that that is such an interesting uh, concept because there is something to that where, and I almost feel like Meisner kind of has like a finger on that because it's like we can speak clinically about what's happening in a certain way, but then uh, when it comes to, um, you know, being able, you can tap into your emotions at, very easily and they're very accessible. But I often think about that, especially as, you know, the digital age <laughs> just like grows and grows and grows. How do we um, teach people to be, especially, you know, medical professionals, people working in tech, how do, how do we teach these people to understand and, um, you know, be able to empathize more or understand that it's people who are running the technology, not the technology. Well, I guess you could talk about that, but (laughs) whoops. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I don't know. I just, that, yeah, please send us the uh, study on that because it's just such an interesting conversation about the muscle. I mean, do you, in your own personal life, are there things that you notice about how Meisner has affected your ability to relate to other people? or how you even can understand yourself. I think un, I think a lot of us as artists are already almost to a fault relating to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's helped me more with myself because I love people. And I think before Meisner, I was very accommodating and almost like tumbling over myself to be whatever someone needed me to be because I was so attuned to like their Mm -hmm. energy. Um, And Meisner has taught me, of course, the whole principle of Meisner is like, it's just moment to moment. So when I go into conflict or confrontation or even telling someone I love you for the first time, anything that's like a little bit out of the ordinary that I am wondering how it's going to go, I just take it moment to moment. And like you said, Rachel, it's like first clinical and then how do I feel? So Mm -hmm. Meisner teaches, I'm sure you've seen it, listeners, the repetition exercise of just like you have blue eyes, I have blue eyes over and over again. So that's step one. That's like the clinical. So just what is happening now? Right. And then if you're feeling in the flow of that going, and what does that do to me? So going back to anything confrontational or difficult, vulnerable, just taking it like what's happening now Mm. and what do I feel? And I had to do something scary last week that I was really nervous for. And I just was like, we're just going to take it moment by moment. And it went fine. But when we get flooded being like, well, what's going to happen the third moment or the seventh moment is when we get ahead of ourselves. And like you said, I'll be, don't listen, kind of anticipate what the person is saying, but don't actually take it in. Right. And that's like when the flight attendant says, have a good flight. And you're like, well, actually, no, they are on the flight. I guess it would be more like if the movie attendant is like, right. enjoy your movie. And you're like, you too. Like yeah. if we're not actually listening. Oh my <laughs> gosh. That's so relatable. But, yeah. I do that way moment, too often. I know. I know we do. Yeah. yeah. We have a, um, to your point of like the not listening. I, I'm a barista <laughs> for my day job. Yes. And, um, I, so many times people come up to the counter and I'll be like, how's your day? How are you? And they'll be like, can I get a cappuccino? And I'm like, mm. okay, <laughs> you, I am an invisible human to yeah, you. You're a machine. Yeah. Just like, give me my drink and like, let me go on with my day. Okay. But then there are those specific people who come in and are like, whoa, you guys, it's like a sweaty one out there today. Or they give some sort of like something that relates to you as a human being. Yeah. And I think that taking those principles of listening, of taking your time, of empathy, into our every single day, even with your barista across the counter, or even with like the MTA workers that you see on the subway or on the bus, like those are opportunities that we get as humans to relate to another human. Yeah. And I think we forget (laughs) that there are human beings around us all the time. I know. But this actually reminds me of what Rachel was saying about the doctors. And I was having a thought about the doctors being empathetic, which is that do they have these stores, the energy stores to be empathetic Mm. all day. And similarly being in New York city, especially do I have the wherewithal to 
to connect with humans. Right. I think with someone that's literally serving me, that's a different story. And right. I should be able to connect with that person as if they're not a robot. But yeah, I think about, I can't connect right. with everyone that's on a really the subway. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. I think sometimes doctors do have to disconnect. I've been in a room where a doctor was like, losing it and mm. it really honestly made me mad yeah <laughs> i was totally. like you don't know him like right. why are you crying right <laughs> so yeah. it's it it's doesn't instill confidence <laughs> like yeah. your right like you like you need yeah. literally to have it together when you're not so uh, yeah Truly. that's a very good point yeah and art's like that too and back to totally. um not a day goes by like yeah how do we get ourselves right up until the line of being clinical, but empathetic about both our voices and like medical news you have to deliver, whatever it may be, but then also like do the job with empathy and clinical skill, I guess, but not go over the line of each either. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause especially in performance, like we've all, at least I have, I've been in rooms, especially in classes where somebody really taps into something really deep. And then all of a sudden you can feel everybody in the room be like, like back up and start to be like, okay, this is, this is, this is too much. We've entered into a territory that is like off limits for everybody to be in this room right now. And so there is a level of like, how do you get to the point where you're delivering something honestly and yet draw people in. I know because there is like, there is something about watching somebody get to get to that point that is like inviting almost to the audience to say you can experience, like you have now permission to also feel deeply, but also there's like a line where if it's crossed, then it becomes uncomfortable. You know what I'm thinking in this moment? And tell me what y'all are, what your reaction is to this. Cause mm-hmm. I'm just coming up with this on the fly, but thinking about those moments when I've seen someone in class or on stage going to a point where I'm like, Whoa, what just happened? Yeah. It feels like it's not about this moment. Mm. Right. And I wonder if maybe the key is just going, again, what's happening now and what is it doing to me now? Right. Rather than my mom's dead. Right. Right. And like, yes, that is now. But like, um, yeah, I'm just thinking back to like those times when I've been overwhelmed and it doesn't feel shared, I think is the thing. It feels like you're having an experience at my, what's that term? My expense. expense. Yeah. 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 I, I think that's, so, cause then it, if it's not in this moment, it feels, um, it, it will feel put on or, uh, kind of like a reach for something. Right. I don't, yeah, that's a really good point because in, in, in life, it's not like I'm trying to get myself to this emotional point. No. It just happens. So that's really interesting. I have not thought about it in that way. Cause that is a very real feeling of watching something and being like, oh, what, what's, what's happening? How did we get here? Yeah. Yeah. Whereas if we're all on the journey together, maybe we all erupt in tears at the same time. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. But if you're not including the audience, mm-hmm. it's confusing and overwhelming for you. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Cause the audience has to understand how you got there <laughs> yeah. or else right. we're just like we're just lost. Right. It's hard to, it's hard to empathize with a character that you see go and you're like, I don't understand how they got there. Right. Right. And I guess maybe that sometimes could be like the material, like it could be the writing totally, and the actors just doing the best that they can. And you know, we just, we didn't get to see how they got to this point, but I don't know. Did you all see Benanti and My Fair Lady at Lincoln Center? Yes. Uh, yes. You did. You did. Yeah. Was yeah. she like sobbing in that scene where Higgins is going off on her? Oh. Do you remember? I don't remember. What scene is that? I don't know. She's don't about to like so. have a breakdown. It, it's the scene right it's before right she before. like leaves him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She, and to my recollection, she didn't sob at that point, but she did get emotional when she comes back. That I love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But not in that particular. Did she in your, when you saw it? She did in mine when I saw it. Okay. 
And I was sitting there like, wait, what? Because the scene is almost a little funny. And like, sure, sure, she leaves him after that. But I feel like we love and stand Laura Benanti. Totally. But I also was getting the feeling as an audience member that something was going on with her that had nothing to do with the scene. And she was using the scene to let it out. And I'm not the biggest (laughs) fan of that. Yeah. Yeah. It felt exclusionary and confusing. And like you said, Rachel, I don't know how we got here. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. It's a strange feeling as an audience member. Because I feel like you get taken out of a story and then you're kind of like trying to gauge if everybody else is feeling the same way. (laughs) So then suddenly, like, it's that feeling of I'm sitting in this room engulfed in this story to there's a bunch of people around me and right. You start to feel, recognize. Yeah. You start yeah. to recognize the space. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's, yeah, that's interesting. That's a really interesting, like way to get into even more of this conversation because I just saw a parade last night with Ben Platt and Michaela diamond and every single person on that stage was locked into that show. I have not seen a ensemble so sold out to this per- to a show in a long time. Like I, as soon as the first beat dropped of that that show, I was like, oh, oh, we are we are in this world now. Yeah, like this is where we are. We we are in their world. And actually, there was an audience member in Act Two, um, which we could talk about the show forever. So mm. I'm not. I'm just not going to get into it because I will be like, <laughs> just never stop talking. But there was um, a point where um, in act two there Leo is in prison and um, Lucille comes to see him in prison and they're talking about, you know, wanting to get his um, wanting to get his, uh, Oh my gosh. His case, or, yeah, yeah. Or like his, his case appealed yeah. and like wanting to get him f- set free. And um, Leo said something like, they're never going to listen to me or, you know, something to that extent. I don't remember the particular line, but an audience member shouted. Oh, he goes, no, he was like, no, they will. (laughs) And I was like, and you you could see like the friend I was with, she like craned her neck over a movie. (laughs) Exactly. Like they can hear you. And for a minute I was like, Oh my gosh. I was like, this man is so engulfed in this story (laughs) that he's yelling back at these actors. And there are all these, there were all these small moments within that show where like these actors were so dropped in to this piece that you could tell, like you could feel the entire room lean forward with them and be so in it with them. But if we were to take something like the Laura situation that you were just describing, or even a class situation where it felt forced, everyone, that is, that is a type of show where every single person would be like, mm, why we need, no, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not on this journey with you guys anymore. Like mm-hmm. I'm out, I can't do this. Um, and so, especially when we're dealing with hard material like that, I think there is a sense of clinic looking at something clinically mm-hmm. that gives freedom to allow the emotion to naturally come out. Whereas if you like force it into place, the the purpose of the show is completely lost. Yeah. At that point you're just having the emotion to have the emotion. Yeah. It's still a collective like telling of a story. It's not just yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Right. And by starting with a blank slate, we talk about this in Meisner all the time. He even wants you to be robotic. So by leaving yourself alone and being like, I'm just a darn robot and we'll see what comes up. It allows for stuff to billow up Mm. without your conscious control Mm. rather than I am so responsible for this emotion billowing to the top, which like you said, looks forced and feels confusing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Man, we could go on about this for Wait, I have to go back to the man. Did did they laugh? (laughs) Well, everybody around was kind of like, like I said, kind of looked around like, 
my good sir, we are in, <laughs> in a theater right now and there are physical people in front of you. And you could, I could see Michaela Diamond's eyes kind of like cut over and then she was like, okay, I'm back. But there was never, not, none, no one broke. Okay. Like no, everybody stayed in place, which is hilarious. Cause I, if it were me on stage, I would have been like, <clears throat> like laughing, <laughs> like really trying hard not to like break the scene completely. But everybody stayed in, but it was hilarious. I, yeah, it definitely took me out for a second. I was like, wait, <laughs> sir, did you just yell at these people on stage? Y'all know ghosts? Yes. Yeah. Casey Levy has this story that I always think of, which was she was singing, you took my life. And yeah. um, there's that silent part after the big climax. Yes. And then she comes back in in a different key. Uh -huh. And she said at that part, <laughs> so one of the audience goes one time, Oh God. <laughs> oh, no. And she was like, I don't know. I'm going to get through the rest of the song. Oh my gosh. Oh, oh. wow. I would, that I would be undone. If that oh happened. God. Oh God. That's so funny. There are times where like something like that happens and I would feel like really disappointed because I'd be like, you just disrupted this entire moment. But like that is funny. So funny. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that, um, if somebody like drops something on a stage mm -hmm. and like, then it's like, okay, well now it's just like the play about the napkin that <laughs> the napkin, yeah. like flew Who's away gonna or something pick it like up? that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Who's going to pick it up? I went and saw this adorable, adorable production, elementary school production of The Wiz the other day. Why? At nine o'clock in the morning. Um, just to, I have a friend whose uh, daughter was in it. Okay. And so went to support and the Tin Man um, could not hang on to his hat. <laughs> and I kid you not, I was sitting there with a friend and we were just laughing through the whole thing because, you know, and he was, he was like, it has to be on my head. Like surely this, I cannot carry it through the whole thing. It has to stay on my head. Why didn't they strap that thing on? <laughs> they didn't strap it on. It didn't have a strap. So poor guy was just, it was really cute. That's sweet boy. Ooh, he's anyway. like, he's like, I'm just trying to be the Tin Man. Yeah. So, so truly the whole show was like the Tin Man's hat. Basically. <laughs> it was That's very amazing. God. Okay. We have to move on with our questions for time, but, uh, I love this. Um, Jillian, what keeps you grounded as a human? Um, <laughs> my answer is a little shallow, but maybe not. No, I, no, love, I it. love it. Listen, the way this conversation is going, we'll make something out of it. Yeah. Um, weight training. I've been weight training for like 12 years and I'm obsessed and I love that answer. I just, yeah, I think putting ourselves under controlled stress mm. helps. It has helped me so much with stress, anger, anxiety in regular, um, circumstances to know, like I can, maybe not push myself is the right word, but I've been under this kind of pressure already right. this morning. And mm -hmm. like, yeah, I know right. how to handle this. And same thing with like any pain. I'm a scared flyer. So like when I fly, sometimes I'm like, okay, yeah, just like be as relaxed as you can be. And I think the same goes for weight training. And it's mm -hmm. taught me such cool things about being in the moment and meditation. I just love it. Wow. That is not a shallow answer at all. Okay. No, <laughs> I love that answer. Not. And I think too, like, the more that like science is revealing, the, like the whole mind body connection and I, yeah, physical activity is so important. I feel, are you the kind of person that's like, I have to move before I can get on with my day for that reason? Five days a week. I'd like to, yeah, today okay. I didn't and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm fine, mm -hmm. but it really does. I went on a three week trip right before this and I was different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The, the stress and the exhaustion came on sooner in the day for sure. Yeah. yeah. There's, um, an actor that I know and <laughs> taught me like backstage, she will just go and like push as hard as she can against a wall. And I started doing that game changer. It was so wild. I was like, this is like the tiniest little thing. But yeah, there's something about like, I don't know, the physical exertion of like pushing something away or I guess um, like picking something up. But I, I don't know. It's like working against force. Working against force. Yeah. It just feels really good. Yeah. I love that. Well, I think we do that so, <laughs> and I'm like 
Hmm. Um, I feel like we do that <laughs> so often in our everyday lives. We're constantly pushing against something, mm. whether it be ourselves, whether it be our circumstances, whether it be other people, whether we're constantly pushing either against or pulling toward something else. Yeah. So mentally, emotionally, spiritually, we're in a push-pull situation constantly. And so to be able to physically bring that forward and then be able to, as you said, control that is something that has to then come forward in our everyday lives when it comes to our mental health, our um, spiritual health, our emotional health. Um, And so it makes sense. It's not like rocket science. Yeah. Um, And everybody, I think growing up and like as kids and then into adulthood and then as we get older, everybody's like physical exercise, like everybody exercise because it's healthy (laughs) for you. And it's like, yeah, okay, it's healthy for you. But more than that, like it will, it will not, it's not only healthy for you, but it is helpful to you. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm the worst (laughs) at being disciplined. Whereas like watching somebody like Rach or like you, Jillian, who is so disciplined in what they do, is inspiring to therefore be disciplined in those things that you don't necessarily quote unquote want to do. Yeah. Um, but because it is eventually helpful in just your art or your craft or just your everyday life. Um, so thanks you guys for being (laughs) (laughs) inspirations. Um, but yeah, I I know. I was just thinking when you were saying that, I'm like, yeah, why do I do it? I guess it's like the feelings, but yeah, I, it is so strange how, like, how often do you run, Rachel? Uh, I just do three days a week, but I three like days. to cross train on the other ones. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So like weightlifting or yeah. other like cardio. I think I'm like, as I'm getting older, I'm kind of like the weightlifting actually sounds and feels better Ugh. to my body. Yeah. But sometimes like I have, like my breath has to get going or else it's totally. like, I can't release it throughout the rest of the day. Does totally, that make sense? Totally. Totally yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Moving on. (laughs) Um, Jillian, what person, place, or experience has shaped you the most creatively? I would say, okay. So after grad school, I moved to Chicago because I love Chicago. And then I had to move back to Dallas, Texas to be with a loved one who was sick and they passed away. And it was the person who was closest to me in my life. So then I was like stranded in Dallas, Texas, and I had no family or friends there. And I made some, but that was such a formative year where I discovered Meisner for Mm -hmm. myself. Um, And I also like got the calling to move to New York. And I think just found how resilient and strong I really could be. And it really shaped my art as far as presence in this moment, acceptance of all parts of myself, light and dark. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, really sitting with what is not just through my Meisner study, but through the circumstances of my life rather than trying to change it, just being like, well, that is that. Yeah. (laughs) And here we are. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Like a switch that kind of happens the second we kind of just let it be what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that internal, like, (laughs) wanting to change. I mean, we talk about this in class a lot of, like, not wanting to sit with the bad feelings. And that, like, uh, learning how to sit with it is so, there's a lot of beauty that can come from that in your own, like, life. Right. I think a lot of, I was talking to an improviser the other day, and she was saying, of course, you all know the two words that, are the herald of in any improv <laughs> yeah. class. Yes, I am. Yes, yeah. and and I was telling her, I feel like in the arts, especially with vocalists, our mantra is more like fine, but because it's like, okay, this moment is fine, <laughs> but that's that. <laughs> so wow, true. That's so oh my gosh. true. Wow. And like it's like we'll we'll be okay with the moment, but like how can I make it better? And how right. can my vocal technique right. be finessed to make mm-hmm. this even more gorgeous? And so when this loved one was sick, I was constantly wishing that time away and being like when they get better and when we don't live here anymore and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And then they died. Mm -hmm. So all of that was gone. And I wish I had been more yes. And about that moment rather Mm -hmm. than fine, but yeah. And I think vocally too, it taught me to just be 
present with what is and not wish it away, but just like lean into the murk. And in that there's so much freedom uh, that we can find rather than trying to get away from it. And so much energy less expended when we just sit Mm. with it rather than trying to change it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's so wise. (laughs) I'm over here like, wow. I'm like, okay, how many things do I say fine but to? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that there is such, it is, I don't know if it's about, if it's artists or if it's women or if it's Mm -hmm. like what it is, but there's this something ingrained, at least in me, where I, there is this sense of like, okay, that's fine, but it can Mm -hmm. be better or that's fine, but I need to change this or, you know, I'm not there yet. I think there's this sense of like, um, hurry up and wait yeah, or hurry up in the one day, one day I'll get to here yeah. or one day this will change. Or if I had this, then that would be better. If I did this, that would change X, Y, Z thing. Um, instead of saying yes. And being like, okay, today this is where I'm at. Mm-hmm. And now how do I move forward? Well, How do I move throughout the rest of my day well or in my life well? Um, We watched uh, About Time recently. I love love that movie. movie. I love it too. So underrated. It's It's so underrated. The acting's so good. The story's so good. Um, We have a friend who just like texted me and said, Rach, I need to watch About Time tonight. And I was like, I get that. I know exactly Mm. what you mean. Like it's just one of those movies where you're like, I need, I need to watch this because I need to, I need to, Oh my God, the end. Oh, oh. it's, I remember watching it in college for the first time. I remember watching it in college for the first time. And I was with like seven of my girlfriends and we were just all like <laughs> just on the floor of somebody's dorm sobbing. room and like sobbing. And, and if listeners haven't uh, seen it, it's not that it's sad. It no. is just so it's beautiful. beautiful. Oh yeah. my God. Yes. Okay. But, so back yes, to your, sorry. Yes. <laughs> No, but I say that to say like that movie, I feel like is a great example of yes. Anding like the whole point of the movie is saying like, you know, don't live today. Fine. But like, don't live today wishing something were different or Mm. just going about your day, you know, trying to like muscle through, but like go to every day as if you were going back to it, as if you've lived it before and notice all the small things in life And even if they're dark, and I think that that's Mm -hmm. a really incredible point that you made is like, um, I'm a Harry Potter nerd yay! (laughs) and, um, (laughs) there's this line that Sirius says to Harry at one point where he says, the world is not made up of, um, good people and death eaters. We are all a mix of both and how we act Mm -hmm. determines who we are. And I think that that is a great sort of thing. It's like, everybody is a mixed bag. Everybody has both light and dark inside of them. And it's like how you act and how you move throughout life determines, you know, who you are as a person. And so I think that that is like, yeah, I just love that you brought up this sort of like not pushing away, Mm -hmm. you know, Rachel, like you were saying, not necessarily pushing away the, the negative, yeah. Or like the the dark. Maybe it's not negative. Maybe it's just the yeah. fact that it's dark. Um, you know, I think as actors, we tend to be like, okay, but I just have to like gut it up and I have to like do my best. And it's mm. like, okay, but like if you don't have that today, like that's okay. Mm. That's a human experience. And yeah. as artists, all we're trying to do is give an example of the human experience. Right. And so if the character needs to feel blissfully happy today but you're in deep grief can those two things coexist i think so Mm. right and so so if we're constantly and my colleague my associate teacher adam white says feelings are morally neutral Mm. yeah so -hmm. if i'm constantly going okay my depression today is bad then i'm not able to bring that to my next character because i haven't really explored and sat with that But if I know that my deep depression on a day I have to play a blissfully happy character is totally fine, then that informs the human experience of that character Mm. even more than if I were to be like, I must change something. And then we go back to that conversation we were having earlier about Bonancy, the audience is going to be like, something's off. Right. Exactly. (laughs) You're going to be crying in the middle of the Higgins scene and we're confused. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I love that. Um, I love that show too. I just have to say it's so good. It's a great show. 
My Fair Lady? My Fair Lady. Yeah. 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 Have you read Alan J. Lerner's book? No. I feel like you would love it. He's just, <laughs> he's very funny. For anybody who loves, you know, funny old men and their <laughs> words, that's what it is, basically. <laughs> I don't know if I should read that or not. I don't know if I would say definitively I like funny old men and their words. <laughs> I don't really know how I connected those two pieces. <laughs> I don't know if Jillian, that's you love it. funny old men. No. Do I? Um, do, do I? I don't he know. is, though. He's like, um, I was just like, I, I read it on the subway. Uh, it was like my subway book. Uh-huh. And there were multiple times where I was just like busting out laughing. Oh my gosh, I should And I it. had no idea that he was like so silly. I don't know. Okay. I, like um, he talks a lot and he makes fun of his work that he like didn't like. So there's a lot of parts of My Fair Lady that he was like, I can't believe that I wrote that and that it's done that well because I was cringing. Like he, a lot of like, I could have danced all night hates it oh isn't that funny that's so funny anyway we're very critical of our work yeah um okay last final question it's not gonna be alan j learner's book but what book play or film (laughs) do you think every person should read or watch i think i was thinking of two and i'm gonna say first the alchemist it's oh yeah have you all read it i that is on my list but yeah i've not read it it is a book it is. I've seen, I can see the like yeah. the cover photo or like the cover page of it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It kind of looks like the secret. Yes, exactly. Um, it's a metaphor about a shepherd and, um, yeah, I, it, I, I need to reread it because when I was reading it, my mind was just blown. It's like a hundred pages long, very short. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think every time I read it, my mind is clearer. And mm. if I'm in between a decision, um, when I read the book, I'm like, oh, I know what I must do. Yeah. So fully, highly recommend The Alchemist. And a close second is um, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilmore. I love that book. Yeah. It's it's a great book. It's really good. Yeah. I read that my first year of living in the city. Oh, good. Yeah. I was like, okay, like I need something that's going to be inspiring. And so I picked it up and I was like, it was super inspiring, but also is like really challenging to read as an artist mm-hmm. and to look outside of yourself. I think it really pushes you to look outside of yourself a lot. Yeah. Highly recommend. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great one. Have Thank you read Rachel. it, Rachel? I haven't read it, but I, it's come recommended to me many times. There's Elizabeth Gilbert and then I I have yet to read a Brene Brown book. And like, I feel like those two women get recommended to me all the time. All and the I'm time. like, I gotta do Oh yeah. Are you an audiobook person? I love audiobooks. Just do that. Especially when it's read by the author. Yeah. Yeah. I got to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Big Magic and then Brene Brown. Brene reads. <laughs> I think she does all her books. Does she? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Big Magic that that one's like the pink and mm-hmm. blue. It's yes. like the tie-dye kind of looking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. Oh my gosh. Okay, Jillian the Meisner and in Music Intensive is coming up this summer, right? Yes. Can you tell us about that? Yes. I'm so excited. So as we've talked a lot about today, psychology and the voice and the, the instrument of the body are so closely linked uh, mm-hmm. intricately. And so we're going to do a three-week August intensive, the first three weeks in August, both online and in New York City. Wow. That is not only intensive Meisner music classes, but three workshops with therapists who are familiar with the Meisner technique. Um, And we're going to be singing with them and talking about the things that your brain, body, and voice tend to do mm. when we go from singing alone to singing in a performance setting. Wow. And throughout the three weeks, we're doing three performances. The last one will be in an off-Broadway theater with HD video of your final performance. And that's for the New York City one only. Wow. But the online component is going to have all of the classes. So I'm really excited. And if anyone's interested in this work, I think it's going to be one of the most valuable things we've ever offered. And I'm yeah. really looking forward to it. Oh, wow. Gosh. It's amazing. Oh, that's going to be so cool. Yes. Wow. So oh we'll gosh. have that linked in our show notes. Thank you. With everything else. And yeah, you guys just check out the Meisner and Music website because there's so much. Uh, and your Instagram is amazing. There's so much information on there too that's just like, I feel like I'm reposting that stuff like all because I'm just like, you. yes, yes. And yes. And um, <laughs> to all of it. But yeah, definitely go check that out. There's just so much um, good stuff on there. And um, yeah, 
Is there anything else that you want to say, LB? Thanks for being here. Truly. <laughs> Truly, Killian, thank you. We My pleasure. Really appreciate it. We, um, funny story. So I went with Rach the first time. The Miser Music was holding an open. Yes. You know, anybody could come and wa- observe. And so Rach was like, you want to come with me? And I was like, yeah, I do. And I walked in and um, I saw you teaching. And I leaned over to Rachel and I go, is that Wonder Woman? Oh. And that was like originally. Really? So now in my head, you're always Wonder Woman. I um, accept. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> She's like, thank you. Um, but you're just an incredible person, an incredible teacher, an incredible artist. And it's a real honor to have you on our podcast and to learn from you. And um, I, as a, as a friend of one of your students, it's really cool to see just like how much Rach has grown as an artist through your teaching. And so many other people have grown through your teaching that I know. And um, so thank you for what you do. And we really appreciate you. It means a lot to me. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Of course. Thanks for coming on Jillian. My pleasure. You guys, um, we will see you soon. Yeah. See you next time. Thanks for listening to our bonus episode. Woo. Thanks for listening to the For The Makers podcast. To find out more about Seated Productions, you can visit our website at www.seatedproductions.com and follow us on Instagram at seated.productions. And if you love what we do and want to support us, you can make a tax-deductible donation by visiting our website or by following the link in our podcast description. Until next time, listen well and tell stories.